Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey everybody, Rev here. Uh, just me again on this intro. Sorry, the last few intros have been a little light on banter, uh, but Harvey doesn't give me a lot to play off of. So real quick before we get into the episode, stay tuned at the end of the next three episodes. That's today's episode and then the next two weeks, uh, because at the end of each of those episodes, we're going to have a short interview with one of the new cast members. So hang out after the episode and get to know them a little bit before we announce in the future what it is they're going to be playing with us. Uh, so that's all I've got. So it's time to let the recap roll. There is a magical pulse that ripples out from the helicopter and you see three bodies thrown out of the helicopter as it continues to streak forward. Do I think that the two on the left are close enough that I could grab both of them? Yeah. I'm going to go for that. All right. Roll act under pressure. Three. You find them in a heap together on the floor of this forest and the heap starts to shift. And Sherry's hand slowly reaches up. The arm is broken and there is blood. And you can see that Everett is not moving. He got a hold of me and he he got under me at the last second. You get the helicopter landed and there's no sign of Mosquito Dan. And Tass is covered in this soul bat. Tass, are you okay? Tass, through this weird veil of darkness, you can hear TJ talking to you. I think I want to see if I can move my hand down to my light mace and click it on. As your hand gets about three inches from it, it freezes. I know what you plan to do, and I can help you for a small price. This is not you. You plan to go home. I will help you do what you plan. Send away those who would scorn me now. And in exchange, when you leave this body, will be mine. What do you mean? What, what does that mean, yours? When you leave, this will be a husk. I will keep it for myself and live out my life. I hate to break it to you, the whole thing that we're about to do will probably kill you, won't it? I am not what I once was. Part of me is changed, stripped away. I cannot control something. I cannot create more of myself. I do not think I will be affected by what you plan to do. Huh. So I leave. This is just a body. So you get to just keep going. Correct. What do you want? I know to live, but past that. What does that look like? Where we come from, life is nothing but heavy and strong senses of emotion. Part of why we seek to escape and connect to others is for brief reprieve from that, to experience other things, to not be weighed down, buried in this superstition, this hatred, this anger. 
Okay, that's powerful. I mean, that's understandable that you want that. I'm going to ask this a little more practically then. I'm not going to agree to this if you're going to hurt people. I have no plans to injure others. I realize this body is capable. I simply want to find serenity, to find peace and calm, to see the beautiful things that do not exist in the world I was born from. With my connection to him, the way we're linked up like this, do I have any reason to doubt his words? You don't. I mean, he's lying, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have any reason to. No, you have no reason to, to doubt what he's saying. Oh, man. That goes against everything that who this version of myself was would ever allow. But this world is more important. And if you're going to keep fighting me in the process of doing this thing instead, then yeah, yeah, let's do the thing, man. Very well. I will do what I can to protect you, and you do what you can to protect me. Deal. Back at the helicopter, everyone is getting their things together to go to sleep. And after three or four minutes, Tass joins you. Um, how do you all want to set up the sleeping arrangements here? You've got the helicopter. You've got this little bit of open area. Uh, I know that you talked about doing some kind of a, a watch. Tass, I know that you are in bad shape. Yeah. Um, but I will say that once you made the deal with the soul bat, um, you are stabilized. You aren't healed because it's flowing over you. You feel it sealing up oh. gashes and holes. And Oh, I should be grateful, but I'm so grossed out. Yeah, fair. It's like surgical glue, but made of monster, but black and viscous and alive <laughs> yeah. and in love with you a little bit, I think. Oh. <laughs> Uh, mechanically here, before we make many other decisions, I'm just in a lot of pain. Like, I'm I'm pretty hurt. Uh, I am stabilized now, but yeah, so I don't know. We talk over options that. Well, I mean, I can heal you. That is true. Over and over again. That would require, I don't know, a certain <laughs> amount of rolls, probably. But Yes, it would. <laughs> some, some unknown number of rolls <laughs> might need to occur. Um, I've got, I've got pills that I don't know what they do, but they are given to humans after they're fed on. So I don't know if they heal or if they just like, what? Make more blood. Um, (laughs) I mean, you can pop one. I've watched people take them and they don't, they don't seem to do bad. You might want to, I don't know if looking them over, will answer any questions for you. (laughs) Hmm. Maybe with TJ, if TJ were to look them over, you know, he's still got his his scientific mind in this world, so he might be able to figure something out about him. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold him out for somebody to look at, to examine, to see if they can figure out exactly what they do. Well, then I will take one of them and I will... Down the hatch. Down the hatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roll investigate a mystery. <laughs> That's a three. You're almost certain it's mostly tied. <laughs> Mark experience. Oh, yes. Thank you. If you want to pop one of these bad boys and find out, though, I'm okay with it. (laughs) I'm sure you're okay with it. I could bite you first because here's what I know is that it basically undoes a bite. So, you know, make it worth your while. I'm at one harm, so I could I could use a snack and uh, you're on the table now. Oh my god. No, I hate this. I don't want to bite you. Yeah, I'm already hurt pretty bad. I don't think I want to chance that. I will hold out the pills, like offer them to him just if you if you want one, here you go. You can even just keep it in your pocket in case of emergency. What the hell? Everything else has gone wrong. What could this do? And I'll take one and swallow it. All right, so there are three left in this bottle. I think we said that there were three or four in there to start with. So what this is going to do is that 
over the course of the next hour, you will regenerate a hit point. Okay. And if you were um, unstable, it would stabilize you. Nice. Okay. Nice. Um, then can I go ahead and heal him up a little bit more? Sure. We'll use magic. That's a seven. Oh, thank God. Okay, what's your glitch? The effect is weakened. All right, so the effect is weakened, so it's essentially going to act like the pill, that you'll still get this hit point back, but it's going to be like an hour or so. It's not just going to be an instant hit point that you get back. Okay. Yeah, the magic has to travel through your blood system. It has to analyze, all that good stuff. <laughs> it makes all these tiny Osmosis Joneses, and they're like... <laughs> <laughs> that takes time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so over the course of the next hour, you will get two back. Okay, I feel super weird, but thanks, guys. You're welcome. So now that you are all back inside of the camp and you've done a little bit of healing, you notice that Scott is eyeing the nuke inside of the helicopter. What are you going to do about that? I don't know. You know, right now, I couldn't get it far enough away to matter right now. So whether it's inside the helicopter or, you know, a hundred miles away, like I don't know exactly what the radius on that thing is, but I think we're going to have a bad time regardless. It's It's got to go somewhere. I don't know if putting it at like, if sinking it in one of the Great Lakes is the solution or somehow sending this thing to space. Don't know how to do that, but getting it somewhere far away from everyone to mitigate the damage, that's going to be the goal. How high does a does a nuke have to be before it doesn't catastrophically affect the area underneath it? You got me, man. I don't I don't know. I am not a I'm not a nuke maker. Yeah. <laughs> I've never studied this sort of thing. I wonder if we could like put it in the plane and just send it as high as it could go and and blow it up. I guess it only works, I guess, if that's high enough. Yeah, and at a certain point the plane will freeze up and come back down. So we could fly it back to Chicago. I thought about that. You mean like into the heart of Chicago? And like take out all the vampires or like detonate it way above Chicago so that if it still goes bad, at least it's bad for vampires. Yeah, I guess the second one. Here's my fear is that there's a bunch of nuclear fallout on vampires that doesn't kill them the way it kills people. Now we've just got crazy irradiated vampires and they're an even bigger problem. Oh, God. Yeah, there's there's something I've I've learned something since I've been here. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen the worst way possible. And I think at that point, Susanna speaks up. Do you think they're tracking it? You know, I had that fear when we first found out about it, but circumstances prevented us from keeping it on its course like we wanted to, and nobody's detonated it so far. So if they were tracking it, you know, they'd probably be making sure it got to its destination. And if it didn't, I don't know if they'd set it off. So maybe they are tracking it and they're just not prepared to set it off yet because it's not going to do any good. Maybe they're hoping we carry it back to Indianapolis and they know when it's there and they can set it off themselves. I would be surprised if they have the ability to remote detonate it because why would they go through all that trouble to put it in the hand of somebody that's already conflicted to hit the button to get it here if they could just put somebody on a beeline track and then do it themselves, you know what I mean? I mean, in short, because... If they're just tracking it by GPS and he gets got by a mob of soul bats short of Indianapolis, like they don't know that, but he does. You know, if they came full force and they met him before he got to his destination, he could still have the opportunity to blow it. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. I think it's the same reason we have drones, but you still put a pilot in there because there's only so much that your remote observation can get you. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, too, it's worth noting that Jake may be a unique factor in knowing that there was conflict going on between the two. 
because Jake knew that through his uh, sensitive reading the emotions of the two distinct entities. Mm, fair. On the other hand, tracking it is something I'm more worried about. Like if they just know where it's at at all times and they see, oh, it has stopped for hours and hours, you know, might be they're going to send somebody after it. So I guess I'll put it on and start jogging. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm confident that I can't mess with this thing. Like, I don't know anything about it. I'm not going to fiddle with it. Well, because I think yeah. ideally we could look this over, figure out how it's being tracked and probably take the tracking part with us. And it would seem like it was doing its job still. But I'm not going to touch this thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I looked it over. I couldn't figure anything out. I don't know if TJ has a better eye for these things. Uh, do you think I could look at this thing and determine whether or not it is being being tracked via remote yeah roll investigate a mystery and if this goes wrong <laughs> it's a six um can i help him by showing him the things that i was looking at that didn't seem to make sense to me and be like i don't think there's much with this maybe look here instead i wish you would <laughs> ten. Oh. all right so tj you get a seven uh so you get one hold. I want to ask what can it do, but I think what is being concealed here is more along the lines of whether or not it is being remote tracked. All right. So you pull the vest over and you start to go through it. You're trying to pull from your time back home because, again, this body, this mind doesn't have that technical knowledge anymore. So the thing that's being concealed here as you start to look through the vest and the nuke attached is that there is tracking on it, but it's not activated. It seems like that when they decided to have someone wear it and gave them an arming mechanism that they did not activate the tracking because they thought they'd be able to stay in contact with Mosquito Dan or that they could at least trust him to do what he was supposed to do. So to activate the tracking will actually deactivate the ability to locally arm it. Oh, I get it. Yeah, guys, there is a tracker, but it's turned off right now. And it seems like if it's turned off, then the arming mechanism, the, the one that that's attached to it, the little button is on. So if we were to somehow disconnect the the button from the vest i have a feeling that it would turn the tracking mechanism on and then the vampires would know exactly where this is at okay so for now what we have to worry about is protecting this thing like physically as it is so it's not being tracked there's a margin of error that they could expect from mosquito dan's like trajectory and we still don't really know the, the payload of this thing right we don't know how big the effect will be off of this no idea so do we think that they know it went off from chicago oh yeah it's a big enough we think it's a big enough effect that from chicago they'll know this happened yeah i mean i have to think so so they'll have a time in mind that they expect this to happen and they'll know if it didn't yeah i think so but surely they factored in a margin of error like mosquito dan you know if he doesn't travel in a straight line if he gets harassed by something if he has to stop for water or whatever it could take up to this amount of time. So we're probably flirting with that amount of time already anyway. Yep. Do we just bury it real deep right here? I mean, that's what they did in Broken Arrow. My only concern is how are we going to bury this thing deep enough? Maybe, hell, we're in the backcountry. Maybe there's a mine around here. Full Broken Arrow, baby. I'll get out the Google machine and <laughs> Google the town and mine. 
the the area we're in mines man if only we were in southern indiana i know where there are actual caves and stuff down there but we're not yeah i mean that or i don't know how i don't know how to get this thing into outer space (laughs) that's the idea i keep kicking around but we're not gonna launch it on a rocket we don't have one of those and i know that you can be very strong but i don't think you can throw it into space no i don't think i could make a portal to space no not without taking all the time to go do the fucking research back in ireland right and again i mean that's if we're willing to wait then that's sick we could let tj take the few days after we're done with all this and portal this thing off world and then we definitely wouldn't have to worry about it but the threat is that it could go off any moment so i don't think we can i don't think we can afford to wait right can you just wreck it ralph way down into the earth i don't think so but i could try just do one thing that is beyond human limitations and create a tunnel (laughs) insta dig a tunnel superman spin a tunnel yeah superman spin it oh okay i'll just superman spin it yeah you know like superman like from the comics and cartoons yes i'm i'm familiar he did it he would spin and dig a tunnel yeah is that one of his was that one of his moves sometimes i remember from superman 2 i think he did that where have you all gone i i was googling i came back and there's superman spin (laughs) (laughs) how many mines in indiana did you find There is a coal mine super close to you. Do we think the fiction of Broken Arrow holds up well enough? Listen to me. To mitigate catastrophe. I do not now, nor have I ever (laughs) had reason to doubt Christian fucking Slater. Do you understand me? I'm not going to start that way of life now. I'm not going to start that negative down doubtful no. Okay, then then that is definitely an option or I superman spin drill into the earth or I fly someone up as high as I can and then one of you does some crazy throw shit and see if it can break atmo. Like I don't know how high up I can go before I'm going to start suffering and I don't know how far either of you guys can throw. I threw a whole tree like a pretty good distance once. You so. did. You did. TJ just threw a truck. That's true. I did pretty well with that. This is way smaller than a truck. And you only have to throw it like straight up against (laughs) gravity. (laughs) Oh no, that high, you kind of throw with gravity. You know, you let it arc out. You let it catch orbit. Yeah, Yeah. gotta get an orbit on. (laughs) Something about thermals, I don't know. Yeah, let's put this thing in asynchronous orbit. (laughs) Then it becomes everyone's problem. (laughs) (laughs) Then everyone's- the lottery ever. (laughs) Everyone's motivated to not set this off because you'll never know where exactly it is. Way too small to keep track of up there. my god you guys we call that mad mutually assured destruction yeah i can fly it to the coal mine that's what we want to do i vote coal mine simply because you love that flick (laughs) (laughs) because i know how far it takes to kill a person from a fall and two people going up i don't like it okay yeah so with a simple google search you discover that there is the deep valley mine which is in caitlin township illinois which is not very far from where you are right now it does say deep (laughs) and we're definitely going for deep yeah i i think we are out of ideas i think that's all we got so well i'm gonna grab the cursed item and fly it to the mine uh i guess you guys i mean you ought to stay here suppose one of you should get sleep and one of you can keep watch i'll be back in a little while okay man be careful oh there's only so careful you can be my dude but i will do my best so um the two of you staying behind with the rest of the ipt what's your plan here 
I think we'll have one of us stay up and keep watch and one of us rest while, uh, you know, the others can kind of decide if they want to stay up with us or, you know, alternate. Uh, who's going to stay up first? I'll do it. All right. I think that Scott and Alex are going to stay up with UTJ and uh, Susanna and Eric and Sherry are going to go to sleep. Uh, so where are you guys going to sleep at? I think just under the chopper. All right. And those of you staying watch just hanging out outside around it. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, and you said Alex is going to sleep. Maybe we'll have her like stay near the cockpit as best as possible just because she's our only pilot, right? Correct. Well, then she needs to be ready as soon as something bad goes off. You know, she actually could even just sleep in that chair if you guys are wanting to make sure that she is rested, but she's also in a place where she could get to the controls if needed. Yeah, that'd be great. So you and Scott stay up for the watch. Everyone else climbs underneath the helicopter and Alex gets into the cockpit and lays back to go to sleep. So Jake, you have your phone out and you are following the navigation and it's about a 30 minute flight. But sure enough, you come to a, a wide area that you can see has been strip mined. Um, it's got a fence around it and you can see a number of mine shafts with boards over them and, and uh, caution signs. So this is like a strip mine, like the mined portions are looking out to the sky or are there like mine shafts, like tunnels going into the ground? Uh, there are both here. All right. Um, I mean, my fear in this moment is that soul bats could be living in you know what's better than a dark tunnel but i don't really have another choice so i am going to fly in and proceed with caution uh and look for one of the actual shafts that goes deeper into the earth yeah they are labeled and with your google machine you can get the names of the shafts and their different lengths um some of them even go down and then branch off um where they have mined and then continue to go down further so i'm going to assume that you want to find the deepest one i do i don't think you have any issue finding this this place is old it is abandoned uh, so you are able to find the deepest shaft here and there's nothing living inside of these the air is stale and stagnant it's very dusty it's kind of hard to breathe inside some of them um, but you are able to work your way down it's very dark and cramped in some places but you imagine that you probably go maybe six or seven hundred feet down it's never straight down it is at angles and sometimes you are going horizontally before you begin to head down again, but you get it to what you think is the deepest place here and it ends just in a large, emptied out cavern where they have mined everything that they were looking for here. Is there any like equipment left over? There are a couple of like old shovels. The wood is kind of rotted on them. There are some very old carts that lead back to the ladder that you went up to. Okay, I want to take some time here to kind of dig out some of the dirt and like I think it's probably pretty negligible but what I basically want to do is dig out something where I can put this and lay a cart upside down over it like a turtle shell and then bury it back in. So really you're more so just making it harder to detect or see. Yes like I, I want to make this hard to find more than to like mitigate a blast. Do I know from him looking it over can I remove the tracking device or is it like part of this thing? It is part of this thing. Um, but actually, I think as you're like looking at it again, you do notice that there are some like there are some pockets in the vest and you actually find Ori's phone in one of them. Perfect. OK, I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but I'm glad to know that he was on board and he pulled it off. Yeah. Uh, I'll take that. I'll keep his phone. Yeah, again, I don't think there's a rule for this. You've got all the time you want. You dig out a hole, maybe four or five feet deep, 
you put this at the bottom. Um, you can even clamshell it between two if it makes you feel better. It won't really make that much of a difference, but... You no, know, it makes me feel better. You've got a minecart and then the nuke inside of it and then another one on top of it upside down. Just the deadliest clamshell ever. Uh, and you bury that whole thing and spend a little time to make it look like the rest of the surrounding area. I think for this, roll act under pressure to basically disguise this. There's not going to be a hard move on a fail. It's just not going to be difficult to find if someone were to come down here looking for it. Oh, and my new thing does not apply. 10. Yeah, you start moving rocks and dirt around, and at some point you turn around to the ladder and turn back, and you can't even tell where you buried it. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I will head back to the helicopter then. All right. I think the whole trip and dealing with it and trying to bury it and hide it, you're back after about two hours, and you see TJ and Scott up talking still around the helicopter. Oh, thank goodness. How did it go? As well as I could have hoped for. It is hidden. It's very deep. That's great. Uh, You know? Yeah. It's officially out of our hands. Yeah. Uh, anything you guys want to do before it's time to switch shifts? Uh, I think I'd want to heal myself uh, at least once. Okay. We'll use magic. Going to try two different types of dice here. Uh, that is a 10. All right. You heal one point of damage. Awesome. The next two hours pass without incident and you change over the guard. Um, is there anything that you want to do, Tass, while you're up and about? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, I don't know that this translates to anything mechanical, but like I just would be making laps around the, the little area or the little clearing we're in, just kind of seeing and feeling how this body is different now with the soul bat attached. You know, we talked about the modifications that you had to your character sheet. Um, yeah, you feel a little faster. You feel a little stronger and you can feel that it is helping you as you go. It would almost be like the equivalent of wearing compression gear or kinesiology tape. So things are supported the right way and nothing is shifting in ways it shouldn't like your bad knee. Like it feels like it's got support on all sides so it doesn't feel bad anymore. Nice. Okay. Very cool. Um, I also, I think, would be having a little bit more of a conversation with it. Just like, you know, kind of in preparation. You know, hey. um, You up? (laughs) (laughs) New body, who dis? (laughs) Uh, Specifically with like, you know, hey, we're going to be doing this strike tomorrow. It's going to be in full daylight, but, you know, I'm going to be indoors like we're you know the whole point is to get us inside so i'll try to keep us out of sunlight as much as i can but once we're indoors that's where you know i'm really going to need you yes the transition will be difficult from inside of this helicopter into the building but i can retract into you to hide from it can't wait to see what that feels like let me show you i can (laughs) i can describe it to you Yeah, just um, I'll do what I can. We'll keep you safe. We'll get this thing done and then you'll be free and clear. Nobody to boss you around. No one to take the spotlight but you. Excellent. Not that you want to be in the spot. Sorry, that was a little because of the light. Oh, yes. My my bad. You know what I mean. Mm. It's just a turn of phrase. I really, I didn't. You're you're very clever. I'm not. I like you. Oh. I think we're going to do well together. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to name you. Uh Uh-huh. I can't can't think of any of the other symbiotes. Um, Reginald. Reginald. There it is. Reginald. Well, Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, so after you have this conversation, um, again, I think the rest of the night passes without any issue. So right now, it is about 6.30 in the morning. Everyone is awake. Alex is making some last-minute checks to the helicopter. What's the plan? Going back to the airbase, seeing if things are still intact, getting some more fuel for the helicopter and picking up the jet. If that's still the plan to use the jet, then yeah, otherwise it's just getting us downtown and as close to the Halifax as we can. I mean, the last conversation we had was, I'm going to go for the hammer and you don't worry about how I get to you. Right. So I would still like to use the jet to do that. Well, we, we can. We can go back and take a look just if the air base has all been messed up. Like if they took their chance in the night to destroy everything, then we won't have enough gas to get downtown. I mean, it's just if. It's all if. Well, Alex, what's the closest course we could chart towards the air base with enough left in the tank to get to Indianapolis. Because if we get close enough, I could fly over there and check the condition of things. I mean, we're basically going to have to go in a straight line from here to get to Indianapolis. The air base is almost due east from here. I think that's okay. I think I think it's okay if we just go. Because really, your surprise element here is coming in through the roof. You know, we're still going to have to be a little bit of chaos incarnate, like getting into town and setting down a chopper. Like, that's not going to go unnoticed. So you coming through the top and going down to try to get the hammer is already going to be its own whole thing. So you screaming over in a in a jet and jumping out at the last second isn't any different than you kind of sneaking in and going through that way, is it? I mean, it's way more fucking radical. But... <laughs> Other than that, no, I guess not. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I just wanted fan art of me flying a jet and jumping out of it, but whatever. Uh, yeah, so I just think it's continue on. We just go straight there. We let you slip out of the chopper and get into position while we're making some noise and breaking in through the back. Plan on. You know, it we, sounds like a solid plan. It's not much. It's simple, but we keep making plans on plans on plans, and then the first thing goes wrong, and it's all just making shit up as we go anyway, so we might as well Occam's razor this thing, and just the simplest explanation is break right in and get it done. All right. And then on the other note... How loud and nasty are we doing this? Are we literally just touching down in the street outside of the building or are we going to try to sneak through town at all? I mean, they can't not can't. They don't want to come out in the sunlight. Right. I don't know if they have to. They're gonna whether we're coming in in a helicopter or trying to be sneaky. So if we go in sneaky, maybe we don't get caught. But if we do, they can come out after us and we're at more of a disadvantage. Yeah. If we come in in a helicopter, they definitely know we're coming, but at least we're in a helicopter if they decide to come out after us. Just kind of what do you want to prepare for? The best case or the worst case? The worst case in this case. Then I think we should take the helicopter right in. So the plan is Jake goes in through the dome. Yeah. We land somewhere outside the Halifax, make it to the back door and bust in and do our thing, right? I, I mean, yeah, we got to find a spot that's as close to the building as possible. Jake, it's probably best for you to slip out of the chopper while we're still moving. Yeah. So that you're up top, yeah? Yeah, I'll land on the roof and I'll keep an eye out until you guys are disembarking and then I'll go in, draw the heat, and then you can come in. Okay. That sounds like a plan. All right, so with that decision made, Alex fires up the chopper and starts heading towards Indianapolis. As you're traveling, the sun rises over the city and you can see it. 
You don't see a lot of movement outside as you approach. And as you get to the outskirts of the city, getting ready to start passing over the buildings, Alex looks back over her shoulder. All right, is this a go? I think it's a go. Go. And who's her co-pilot? I think I will be her co-pilot. All right, so TJ, you are going to act as her spotter. Roll read a bad situation. That's a nine. All right, you get a hold one. What's my best way in? You do notice that across the street from the Halifax on the back side is a condemned building that has been completely flattened, and it seems like it's stable enough that she should be able to land there and let everyone out. I'll let her know. All right, so she flies over the Halifax. And I'm going to hop out as we go over okay. and touch down gracefully on the roof. Yeah, I mean, you can fly, so I think you're okay. Uh, and she lands the helicopter and starts to power it down as everyone grabs their bags and looks to the two of you. Um, Yeah, I think I'm taking the lead. Uh, so just heading a- across the lot here. And, you know, obviously I'm glancing around to see if there's anything already out here. But, you know, if not, just trying to get right up to the door. All right, roll read a bad situation okay uh six <laughs> oh i can help him out how so um wherever he's not looking i am looking <laughs> <laughs> so if he's not like looking towards the door i'll yeah. be looking at the door so you're like on opposite swivels yeah yeah slice the pie clear your corners all right that's right you know. roll yeah. help out what is that under cool cool yeah. oh god oh yeah real good that's a four all right the two of you don't notice anything out of the ordinary in the back and you rush across the street with the group following you and you get up to the back door uh by the way with that uh extra point of experience i level up (laughs) what are you taking i'm gonna take fortunes uh from the initiates playbook and uh what that is is uh if you look at what the future holds, roll plus weird, and on a 10 plus, hold three, and on a seven and nine, hold one. On a miss, you get bad information, and the keeper decides how that affects you. Spend your hold to have a useful object ready, be somewhere you are needed just in time, take plus one forward, or give plus one forward to another hunter, or retroactively warn someone about an attack so that it doesn't happen. All right, so why don't you roll it and let's see how many holds you get. Oh, okay. That's a seven. All right. So how many hold does that give you? It gives me one hold. Okay. So Jake, up on the roof, you have been there for a moment and you don't see the helicopter in the skyline anymore. All right. So I am going to fly up and get like 50 feet and then basically pencil dive through the glass directly for where the hammer is on the stage. All right. Roll act under pressure to break through the dome and land where you saw the hammer in TJ's vision. I don't suppose this counts as a monster phenomenon or mystical effect that's triggering this, does it? It depends on when you're from. I mean, glass is kind of a mystical effect. <laughs> yeah. What is what is this hot, clear sand? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Damn it. Good thing that's an 11 anyway. Oh my God. So, Jake, you lift up into the sky and you slam through this glass. And it happens so fast for everyone else in this room. But because you're expecting it, you get a moment to see what is happening as you pass through. You crash through the glass and you zip by two armed guards who are standing on the ledge of the dome looking down. You see movement inside of the theater of the soul bat that you know is the alpha that you saw moving around through the chairs. And you land at the center of the 
stage and you're taken aback for a moment because laying at the center of a stage is a medical bed with an IV and a breathing apparatus. All of these machines hooked up, it seems like to keep someone alive. In their hand is the hammer and the hammer is pulsing and glowing. And as you look up, you see that the person being kept alive, powering the hammer is Margaret. The Crit Show is a Crit Show Studios production, edited and produced by Brandon Wentz with music by Jake Purley. You can find more information about us at thecritshowpodcast.com. To keep up to date with upcoming live shows, contests, and other special events, follow us at The Crit Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For even more weekly content, join us at patreon.com slash thecritshow. Hey, everyone. Today, we are joined by one of our new cast members, Kim. Kim, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I grew up in Paradise Valley, Arizona, but I moved to Los Angeles to go to college, and I've basically stayed there ever since. So I'm currently L.A. bound. I'm an actor, singer, musician, Near do well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So how did you get into tabletop RPGs? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I was kind of a late bloomer with tabletop RPGs. I did not suffer through any of the kind of like doing it in my mom's basement when I was a teenager, like uh, some of the other people. I think I got into it around four or five years ago with uh, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. And uh, tabletop had always been something that I was interested in, but it was never something that I knew how to get into when I was a kid. I loved improvising and I loved role playing games on my on my computer. Like I played to death, uh, like Planescape Torment and Neverwinter Nights and stuff like that, which are all based on tabletop systems. And so the sort of hunger was there. I just I didn't I didn't know how to how to get into that kind of club until I got older and sort of cared less and decided that if I couldn't find where those spaces were, I was going to make those spaces for myself. So I just started sort of putting together my own games and not necessarily knowing what I was doing in terms of Dungeons and Dragons, but just sort of telling all my friends, like, I don't know what this is going to be, but I, I want to try it. So it's just sort of submitting all of my friends to be guinea pigs for me. And it ended up <laughs> working out really well. And then it's become just kind of like a continual love of mine ever since. You started in D&D 5E. Did you branch out into other games or other systems? Yeah, um, I would say that the majority of my sort of home games, both as a player and as a GM, are Dungeons and Dragons 5E. I also run my own series of Monster of the Week, which is actually how I uh, how I discovered you guys, because uh, I was looking for some podcast inspiration on the uh, Monster of the Week Reddit, and uh, I saw you popping up there a bunch. I'm actually also in a tabletop group with another new cast member, Josh, and uh, our group plays a bunch of different games. We bounce between a whole bunch. We've played uh, Demigods, we've played Cyberpunk Red, we've played apocalypse world and a bunch of good stuff 
Do you have a favorite character that you've role played? Oh man, that's really hard. Um, it is. They're all my babies. Yeah, probably the one that I've uh, that I've played the longest over a campaign that I started maybe two or three years ago and is still going. It's a Dungeons and Dragons character. Her name is Lavinia Crowley. Uh, she's a warlock. We're playing this kind of sort of dark surrealist horror game. And one of the things that I like to do with warlocks, uh, warlocks, if you don't know, uh, they are people who get their magic through kind of dark bargains with uh, magical entities. They have magical sugar daddies, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of my uh, I'm always interested in the sort of uh, in the kind of relationship between a warlock and their patron, uh, what that is. And so I, I decided for this one, uh, I told my GM, like, I don't want to know, I don't want to know who or what it is. And I don't want to know what the terms of the bargain were. So I, uh, I kind of relinquished all control of that to my, to my game master. Um, she, so she starts, uh, imprisoned for like most of her life for reasons that she can't necessarily remember and sort of calling out to this, uh, to this voice or this presence to help fix her situation, blackout. Next thing she remembers is she's outside and the prison is burning to the ground. And uh, I sort of took that as kind of a jumping off point in terms of like she's on the run. She has these powers that she doesn't know where they came from and she doesn't know who's sort of in control and who it is that's asking her to do these things. And it's a uh, I still don't know. Like I have I have some hints because uh, we've been going for like two or three years, but I still don't have a definitive answer. And it's this uh, it's this constant sort of question. And I berate my uh, my GM for it all the time. Like, please just like give me a hint. Just tell me something. And uh, it's he won't. But uh, she's a very kind of like Luna Lovegood-esque character, like sort of uh, continually kind of interested and curious in the sort of wild, monstrous world all around her. I like her a lot. Is that something that you get excited about when your players, when your GMing give you control of something like that? Because I personally love those kind of moments where they just say, here, it's kind of a gift writing wise. Yeah, I agree. Um, gosh, what's the thing where it's like, you know, like draw a map, but like leave lots of blank spaces. I like to uh, I like to encourage my players to kind of do that, to sort of trust me in terms of. Don't come to me with like a whole very, very in-depth backstory or come to me with that. But, you know, leave leave some questions in terms of, you know, who is who is that sort of dark presence in, in the mine? And like, why does he have your family? And, you know, because then you can start doing fun stuff with all of your players and start sort of weaving and interconnecting all of their sort of all of those blank spaces and really kind of filling them out. It's much more fun to have players discovering things at the same time as their characters. Yeah. Uh, you get a lot more honest reactions that way. So what non-gaming related hobbies do you have that people might find interesting? Oh, God. I like accumulate special skills. Like, for example, from your audition, I know that you are kind of a one woman orchestra. Oh, yeah. I'm like I'm like a full on Dick Van Dyke, Mary Poppins, like one man band. I play 17 instruments, 18 Something like that. It's been a while since I've counted. But uh, yeah, I uh, I grew up playing music long before I got into acting or singing or anything like that. I was a I was a musician way before. But I was a I was a very uh, undedicated musician. I played viola, but I hated practicing viola. I thought it was I thought it was so boring. Practicing was anathema to me. And so in lieu of practicing, I just decided to teach myself a bunch of other instruments uh, so that I wouldn't have to practice viola anymore. Um, viola was always my main instrument, but because of that, I picked up 
violin and I picked up piano and I picked up cello and I picked up guitar. And then I started getting, I ran out of normal instruments and I started just picking up weird ones like accordion and theremin and sitar. And it's kind of gotten to the point where if you, if you lock me in a room with an instrument and the fate of the world was dependent upon me learning how to play it in like an hour, just a rant, just a random instrument, uh, I would probably be able to do it and do it well. Do you have a favorite critical success or critical failure? Yes. And this was also with Lavinia. A wonderful story about how all of our level seven characters almost gotten taken down by a group of challenge rating one creatures. Uh, <laughs> we were uh, we were investigating a forest that we didn't know was inhabited by dryads, uh, little tree spirits. And we uh, we all walked in and we all immediately had to make wisdom, uh, wisdom saving throws. Everyone failed. Uh, and because of that, we all just started hearing all these wonderful compliments, uh, telling us like how, how nice we looked and how it would be so good if we could just stay and just hang out. And so we were all just in a trance for 24 hours. Uh, and then, uh, another 24 hours went by and we had to, uh, we had to make a whiz save again. Everyone failed. But because we've been awake for 24 hours, we took a point of exhaustion. And this happened several times. And in 5e, if you take enough points on exhaustion, you start getting disadvantage on your saving throws. So then it becomes even harder to uh, to save. And uh, if you have too many points of exhaustion, you die. And I started realizing, like, we are all we're going to TPK by just all standing here in this trance in this forest uh, until I think it was like. We had all we'd failed like three or four times and everyone was starting to sweat and getting very nervous. And our GM was just looking at us with like with like his hands, you know, raised being like, I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, uh, and I uh, so I was rolling with disadvantage for my save and I got two natural 20s uh, in a row and uh, woke up out of the trance. There was no way I could drag away like one of my party members out of the sort of danger zone. And so I, I dragged them away. And then I realized, like, how do I how do I get the other? ones back without like still falling under the curse again so i so i uh stuffed a bunch of uh, a bunch of cotton in my ears and my character had a tan bag of tricks which is this uh this thing where you can pull out little balls and they turn into animals uh it was my favorite uh random magical item that my character ever had i used it you could pull out three a day and you roll for what they are and i had this knack for always pulling out giant hyenas uh which had like 60 hit points and could run like a hundred feet a turn they were just like i would like ride them into battle i was like the beast master uh but anyway so i pulled out a tan bag of tricks animal and i polymorphed it into a giant ape and basically like sat on its shoulders and made it sort of run in king kong style and like pick up up my other two party members and carry them to safety so i saved us all from a tpk because of dryads <laughs> okay but are you sure that you actually got out of that forest and that the natural 20 wasn't just some part of the imposed euphoria by the dryads <laughs> <laughs> you know that would uh, that would explain so many things <laughs> all right and my last question comes from the patreon which would you rather have, a week-long, all-expense-paid trip to Europe or three hours on the moon? Oh, moon. Sign me up for the moon. You know, that has been our unanimous answer so far. Really? I'm not surprised. Um, you know, even just to spend any time on the moon just to say that I was there. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Kim, and we look forward to hearing more from you very soon. Thank you.
the Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. It begins, as terrible things often do, with a knife. People of Herta, chosen children of the knife, a lost soul has come to us. I'm not sure if I can do this. It's always better if you just do it quick. You came to St Kilda to escape your past, but the past isn't so easy to outrun. You always say you're changing, but underneath you're just the same. She was a child, Lockie. You liar! Did you really believe this community would accept you? I think you're meant to be here. A little bird told me that you're a liar. All of this, it comes with a cost, Lockie. Did you really believe you could find redemption? The time for excuses is over. The Secret of St Kilda. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to season one now and remember, there is no change without sacrifice.